This is Jim Harmer, and you're listening to the Improve Photography Podcast. Support for today's show comes from Squarespace, the company that makes my photography portfolio. With beautiful templates created by world-class designers, your project on Squarespace will look perfect right from the very, very beginning in just a few clicks. Whether you want to create a photography portfolio, a business page, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace is a great place to make your passion project a reality. And you have 24-7 customer support behind you if you need any help. Think it, dream it, make it with Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. This is an exciting episode of the show because I think we got more camera news and new stuff in the industry this week than we have in many, many years. Maybe since you know, the Canon 5D Mark II or something. Uh, I'd say it's been a good four or five years since we've had this much uh, exciting stuff happening in photography uh, in one week. And so we are going to do a little bit more of of a news-focused show than we usually do. And I'm excited to have uh, Kirk Bergman back on the show. Hey, Kirk. Hey, Jim. And also Brad Getch, who's a new voice on the show. Hey, Brad. Hi, Jim. Well, uh, Kirk and Brad and I uh, each uh, write articles on the on improved photography. You will have noticed that improved photography is on uh, quite the tear right recently. We're po- uh, po- posting three articles a day now uh, on the site, and we've had some awesome content. So thank you guys for your work on on the site. You're welcome. My pleasure. <laughs> this morning, well, late last night, uh, I found out that the Sony A7R three was going to be announced at midnight tonight. Um, that was exciting news because everybody seemed to think that the A7R3 wasn't going to come until spring. Um, you know, maybe till CES or something like that, uh, you know, late winter, something like that. Um, none of the rumor sites have been predicting a, a major camera release this week. Uh, and then poof, it, it happened. It was here. Um, and I, I hadn't seen any reliable rumors. You know, there's always a rumor that, you know, somebody's going to happen to be right. right. But uh, no, no, this wasn't well known in the industry that this was happening. Uh, so caught a lot of people uh, by surprise that Sony announced a new major uh, full frame mirrorless camera. Kirk, what what do you you know? You do a lot of of landscape photography. What's your take on the camera generally? Uh, when so I read your article that uh, your little um, teaser that you put out on the website this morning. Um, I think it sounds like a pretty fantastic camera for landscape photographers. Um, I think you had said in there at one point that it'll be the camera that landscape photographers are drooling over for the next five years or something like that. Um, I have always been interested in the Sony system, just the mirrorless stuff that they're doing. And they, it seems that they are making a lot of strides uh, in their cameras and in their technology that is just surpassing what Canon and Nikon are doing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if I actually picked up, maybe not this brand new one, but maybe one of the other A7R2 or the A7R2S or whatever mm-hmm. um, to, to play around with because I, I think Sony's doing great things as far as technologies goes. Brad, what was your general take on it? Uh, I, th- I thought it was pretty exciting to see uh, see such an unexpected release. It's obviously going to create a lot of buzz. Um, 
I was kind of, I kind of honed in on that pixel shift thing. I hadn't heard that they were going to introduce that. I didn't know. Uh, I, I don't follow the Sony rumors too much. Um, and I, I was kind of curious as to what that might do to help. I've seen pixel shift in other cameras before. And uh, I think from a landscape perspective and adding that detail, that could be really helpful, uh, a neat feature. Yeah, it's a, definitely an interesting one. Generally, the way the pixel shift technology works, how Olympus has it, Pentax has it, and others, is it'll it takes a picture and then it literally is just moving the sensor one micron. I mean, just this tiny, mm-hmm. tiny little amount to the right, left, up, down, and so the each um, each uh, photo site there is going to get a little bit different light and that's essentially turning you know if you had a 40 megapixel photo maybe it's an 80 megapixel 120 megapixel photo right. after that um, because it, it's it's moving and so it's getting slightly different detail but and it the the reviews I've seen on that of how Olympus has and others have implemented it is really good people seem to really be very impressed with it but Sony, that's not what Sony has done. It, it does move the sensor a micron, etc. cetera, uh, but it doesn't turn your 40 megapixel photo and make it an 80, me- 80 megapixel photo. Instead, it just gives you that same 40 megapixel photo, same uh, megapixel count, but a significantly sharper image in there. Uh, so sharpness is made of two things, acutance and resolution. Resolution is the ability of the lens and the sensor to record, or, to record a tiny fine detail in there. Uh, you know, can you take a picture of somebody's eyelashes and show each individual lash? Whereas the acutance instead is saying how much contrast is, ab- is around each lash to make it stand out from all of the others. Uh, acutance is basically the local contrast. And so what this is doing is it's just allowing you to create or to capture a much more finely detailed photo because it can get more information about each of those tiny little details in the photo. But the megapixel count remains the same. Now, in a practical sense, what would that do for you when you print? Well, really, it's going to do the same thing, right? Like if you have a 100 megapixel photo that you send to the printer, but it just the, the detail in there is crap. It's not that sharp. You know, what good is the 100 yeah. megapixel file, right? And so this is, right. is addressing it on the actual detail side of things instead of not a gimmick, but what could be more of a gimmick if they had only increased the file size. Right, right. I just, I thought it was interesting. And then the, the other thing I'm really interested in with the, uh, the Sony releases to see, you know, how, how it does for astrophotography. Astrophotography is a huge passion of mine. And, you know, Sony's gotten a little bit of bad press with the star eater issue and I keep hearing they're fixing it. And then other people are telling me they're not fixing it. So I don't really know where they stand on that. So it'll be interesting to see, um, see how they, they how this one works with, uh, with Milky Way photography, for example. I haven't had a big issue with this, the quote unquote star eater, um, uh, thing. I'm not crazy into astronomy. I love night photography, but I'm not like crazy into astronomy. So if there's a missing star, I'm not going to notice. <laughs> I'm not, I have no idea. Um, but I, you know, of course want my night fo- photos to look good. And in my opinion, I think the starter eater thing is a little overblown. Um, but, uh, you know, you want it to yeah. be fixed and stuff, but at the same time, like, okay, if we do lose a star here or there, but the low light performance or the getting rid of noise is a lot better, you know, actually that is a compromise I'm willing to accept. Yeah, that makes sense. 
the other cool thing that we saw with this camera is a significantly better battery life. Um, uh, now, I would say that this camera is the one that puts this very much on par with the DSLR. Um, if you look at the specs, the Canon 5D Mark IV um, is promising let's see here, uh, 300 shots with the rear LCD. And if you're a landscape photographer, uh, at least for me, how about you guys? I, I use the, the, the rear LCD more than the viewfinder. Do you? I, I almost never use the viewfinder when I'm taking pictures. I mean, of almost anything, I hardly ever use it. If, if the next iteration of a camera didn't include one, I don't think I'd miss it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, for landscape, I'll usually use the, uh, the rear LCD as well, especially again for night photography, the, the viewfinder an optical viewfinder is pretty much useless. Yeah. That's uh, obviously very different. If you're a portrait wildlife photographer right. yeah, at sports, right. you're going to use the viewfinder. Um, but right. you know, you guys are like me, we, we use the rear LCD probably more than the, than the viewfinder. And oh, yeah. so, uh, to me, that's the number that makes the most sense. So the Canon 5D Mark IV gets 300 shots when using the rear LCD. This new camera, the Sony A7R III, uh, gets 530 shots using the rear LCD. And I heard from several Sony artisans that that's a uh, that's uh, they're really going conservative on that number. One of them said he took 2,200 frames. Uh, in raw plus JPEG, uh, which is really like 1100 frames plus a little uh, processor power before the battery died. Another one shot in literally sub-zero temperatures uh, all day long and ended the battery ended the day with 30, 30% battery. And another nice. portrait photographer shot for two hours and ended, ended the two-hour shoot with 80, 88% battery life. That's pretty impressive. So for me, I, I would say this is the camera where you can't say battery life is a reason not to go mirrorless anymore. Yeah, it sounds like they really fixed the battery issue, which seemed to be what was causing a lot of people not to move over to the Sony system in the first place. Yeah, it, yeah. it's it's bad. On the A7R2, it will bug you. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> um, but we're, we're burying the lead on this camera because the big headline feature is 50 stops of dynamic range. That's nuts. If it's true, if the marketing is real, that is absolutely nuts. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see some of the independent testing on actual uh, photographic usable dynamic range to see where it comes down compared to, to some of the other cameras. I, I would anticipate it to be very good though. Uh, yeah, I am excited for that. That's something that, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. There's not like a specific number for it, like ISO or frames per second or megapixels. And so it kind of doesn't get the attention that it deserves. But if you're a landscape photographer, like this is your number one challenge. This is the hardest technical aspect of landscape photography is managing really bright things and really dark things. When you're shooting into that rising sun, Oh man, you just got to bend over backwards and go through all kinds of contortions to make to be able to just take the picture and get all the detail because you have that bright sun and then dark shadows in the foreground. That's hard to do still. And so a camera that that focuses on the dynamic range is uh, a wel welcome news for landscape photographers. Absolutely. The other thing that was exciting about this is the price. Uh, $3,199 obviously is very, I, I mean, that's, it's a lot of money just generally, uh, but I expected to see this much higher. It's cheaper than the Canon 5D Mark IV and the Nikon D50, uh, D850. Um, 
and the the Sony A9 is a lot more expensive, <laughs> uh, like thirteen hundred dollars more expensive. Oh wow! And and this camera really, I mean, it uh, there's not a whole lot the A9 has that the A7R3 doesn't, you know. Um, and and for a lot of people maybe even most people, the a7R three is a better camera. Uh, if you're a landscape photographer, I, I would say so from the specs that we're seeing so far. Um, so uh, I thought it was interesting to see the price uh, fairly aggressive, even though it is a lot of money. Sounds like they're really trying to compete against Canon and Nikon. Um, not only does it sound like uh, very comparable, if not better in some areas, but they kept the price at a very tempting place for a lot of photographers to consider moving over. And for those of you who are saying right now, oh, cheap $3,200. For those of you uh, who are saying that, we are expecting a Sony A7 III. This is the A7R III. Uh, We are expecting an A7 III that will be coming out probably in the spring, but who knows? Sony rumors have never been super reliable. They they do a good job of keeping wraps on things. Um, And that that camera, that line of camera is much less expensive. Um, And so that's going to be more your your hobbyist kind of, hobbyist, you know, similar to a D80 or a 7D or something like that kind of price. So uh, a lot of you who are interested in Sony, but this is just way out of your price range, might be something to look for. Not to mention that you can buy a Sony a7R II used for under two grand even now. And so give it a few months and maybe an a7R II is a, is a, is a likely path to go. Sure. All right, that's the A7R3. Uh, very exciting camera. Absolutely, I'm buying this thing. No question. I might even buy two. This thing looks cool. <laughs> I'm excited about this one, and I I won't hide it. You know, if you're you're supposed to be a journalist and be neutral on these things, ah, forget it. This thing is cool, and I'm excited about that camera. Uh, all right, but the other big news uh, came from Lightroom. Kirk, give us the rundown. What what did, what did Adobe announce with Lightroom this week? All right, so Adobe launched um, a new update um, to Lightroom and Photoshop. They now have two versions of Lightroom. They've got Lightroom Classic CC, and then they just have Lightroom CC. Uh, Lightroom Classic CC is the desktop version that we all know and love and have been using uh, for a long time. Um, And then the Lightroom CC is their mobile platform that they have now ported on to be used on the desktop. Um, Basically, they're pretty much the same. The interface is a little bit different between the two. I think Lightroom Classic has a couple of additional features that Lightroom CC doesn't have. Um, But uh, on the flip side of that, Lightroom CC is almost a night and day difference as far as speed and usability goes. Um, So uh, it's... two different versions, but they kind of still do the same thing. Um, it'll be up to people to decide how they feel about that once they start using both of them. All right. So the quick review here, uh, everybody put your chips down. Uh, are you going to be using Lightroom Classic CC, which is pretty much business as usual, what you're used to seeing in Lightroom? Or do you think you'll be using the new, all new Lightroom CC one year from today? What do you think you'll be using one year from today? Brad, what do you say? Uh, classic, you assuming it's still around, classic. and I think it will be. Yeah, um, on, on for my desktop solution. Now I I'm preparing an article for improved photography that that covers the mobile 
um, mobile workflow, mobile editing workflow, and the, the uh, Lightroom CC very closely resembles what I find on my iPad. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, my, I think my iPad, that version's actually a little better. It actually has the uh, curves adjustment built into it, which I was kind of surprised didn't make its way into the first iteration of the uh, Lightroom CC. Um, but uh, uh, I think I'll stick around in Classic. I use collections quite a bit and, and um and some of the other features that are still in the classic are just too appealing to me. And I, I messed with both simultaneously and I didn't see a real big reason to, uh, to utilize both of them, um, on the desktop. Cool. And Kirk, how about you? Um, I'm going to stick with the Lightroom classic. Uh, I played around with both, uh, classic and, uh, the other one that mobile Lightroom mobile. I don't know what to call it now. Um, <laughs> the all new uh, Lightroom CC. Yeah, the, the all new, new Coke. Um, and I just don't like the interface of, of the new Lightroom, of Lightroom mobile. It's, I like having lots of stuff available to me, all of the sliders and everything in, in one bar, um, just all ready to go. And I like, I like the complexity that Lightroom Classic has. Um, Lightroom CC feels like it's little brother and it's just, I just didn't like it. Um, and maybe that's because it's new and I haven't really gotten used to it. Um, but it just felt like I was working on a dumbed down version of Lightroom, a watered down version of Lightroom. Um, I, I fully expect Adobe to keep Lightroom classic for at least three years. Um, but I really also think that they will phase it out at some point and just stick with whatever they're, other all-around platform is going to be. Yeah, I I, I see things similar to you, I, I but I would differ a little bit, I think, uh, from you guys in terms of where I see myself in a year with Lightroom. I actually see myself using the new Lightroom one year from today. I am not switching over right now. So I, I've known that this change was coming for quite a while. Um, I, I've been kind of working with Adobe. Um, so I, I knew what was happening. And so I've been making this decision for a while. Um, and uh, I, I really do, I, I think Adobe is right with the, the direction they're going with, with the new Lightroom. And I do think it's going to take over, especially when you see the new technologies that Adobe can do uh, when they're you know using AI and just advanced uh, processing techniques that, that just aren't practical or even possible on a single photo. You know, every once in a while, we'll see these demos from Adobe, uh, these five-minute videos of, look what the future of photo editing is going to be, uh, and we're starting to see some of them. Uh, even right now, in in the new Lightroom, the all-new Lightroom, uh, they have Adobe, Adobe Sensei uh, in there, so it can automatically look at your picture, know what, what we're looking at, and automatically keyword it. That's cool. That's neat. Um, and, and, you know, it's basic, uh, but it's cool uh, that that's in there now and just so much possibility can be done. You know, you know, you think about it, uh, a computer can drive a car now. Um, a computer can play chess better than a human. A computer can play video games better than a human. A computer can pick stocks, arguably, better than a human. <laughs> uh, why would it be that a computer couldn't edit a photo better than a human? Right? Like, we hate to admit that, right? But it's kind of true, right? Like, it, if you think about, you know, I have a face and I want to, uh, to, you know, do some skin smoothing and make this face look all nice. Like 
I, I can do a pretty bang up job. If you give me four hours, I can do a heck of a job uh, on, on a face. But a computer could know those steps and do them in a second. Uh, that, that's cool. And it's something that I do see a lot of photo editing being done with AI instead of, instead of manually. Now, we'll always still have our manual control over what you want that AI to accomplish, but I see AI as just dominating uh, the old way of editing photos. I'm going to agree with you there. I had in my own handwritten notes, the Sensei was my favorite part, uh, which is built into the mobile versions of the application as well. Um, and I tested, I kind of put it through a, a ringer and just typed in a bunch of different things I knew were in my uh, my images that are poorly keyworded at best. And it did a really nice job of pulling up what I was looking for every time. Like, like what? Give in, us an example of that. Uh, trees, trees popped up, ah. stars. I, I brought up all of my uh, Milky Way shots, uh, windmills. It's popular to photograph windmills here in Nebraska. So you type that in and I got all my windmill shots all on the screen. So it, it was kind of cool. I really, I really enjoyed that part of it. Oh, that's way cool. Yeah, that's cool. The example I saw was water and you get all the photos of, you know, lakes, rivers, right. streams, whatever. Right. That's cool. Yeah. A person who hates keywording as much as I do is really excited about this prospect <laughs> of maybe keywording going the way of the dinosaurs or or eventually Lightroom Classic. <laughs> yeah, that's extremely so, cool. Yeah. So um, I I don't feel like I can switch to Lightroom uh, to the all new Lightroom right now. Um, well, we'll talk a little bit about that, about some of the things that might hold you back and helping you make, uh, decisions in the second half. I guess for now, I, I want to focus just a little bit more about, um, the all about, uh, Lightroom classic and kind of where it is today. Um, it got two new features that, uh, that all new Lightroom does not have yet, but will be coming. Um, one of them is luminosity masking in Lightroom. Uh, I guess my quick review of the way that it does the luminosity masking is it's certainly not as powerful as doing this in Photoshop and, you know, using a Luminzi or something like that. But 90% of the things that I use luminosity masking for, it can do. Uh, A lot of the, just the basic edits, like for example, you have trees and you have a sky. Overexpose the photo a little bit and you want to bring down the sky but not bring that bring down the trees. And so you could grab a, a gradient filter and drag it from the top so it's darker at the top on the sky and then it goes to clear so it's not darkening the foreground, right? Well, the problem with that is, yes, it's going to darken the sky, but it's also going to dark, darken those tree limbs sticking up into the sky. And so how do you fix that? Ta-da, luminosity mask. Uh, You would use a a mask that will just grab the highlights and you can only work on the brighter areas of the photo. Uh, That's that's the way we've, you know, that's the way luminosity masking works is in in Photoshop, something like that. But now you can do that in Lightroom uh, and it just has a simple slider for how bright of an area you want to work on to apply that certain edit. Um, It's a very easy, uh, I really like how they've implemented it you'll know how to use it in a second. Whereas most people, when they look at luminosity masking in Photoshop, it's like, ah, I have no idea what's going on. It's just so complicated. Uh, but in Lightroom, this is easy. Anybody, you're going to know how to use it almost right away. Uh, and so I am very excited with it. Uh, I wouldn't say it replaces luminosity masking in Photoshop by any means, but it is really good. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with you on that one as well. I, I was really excited to see that feature brought in. Um, 
it, it kind of reminded me of a, a TK actions, the infinity, the old infinity masking panel where, but it's much more watered down and simple, but the fact that it's in Lightroom and I don't have to round trip if that's all I want to do is really useful. Yeah. So really. did either of you use the auto mask feature with the brush in Lightroom? Um, Cause it sounds like it does the same thing with that, which I've been using for, well over a year. And so I wasn't too excited about the luminosity masking because I've already been kind of doing that just with auto mask. So what are your thoughts on that? Con confession, I did not. <laughs> I never really messed around with it too much. I always just round trip to Lightroom and, and, and went into the TK Actions panel and, and did my luminosity masking. So yeah. maybe I've been working too hard all along. Yeah, auto mask is cool. Uh, it, it's it's handy to have. Um, I, I don't know, I, I, it never became part of my workflow. Uh, so, you know, maybe that is, is another good option as well, but I just never started using that one really. Oh yeah. Auto masking worked great. Uh, just like you were saying, uh, like if you had trees, branches going into the sky, you could just select the sky using the auto mask and you would actually get really tight, precise selections. Um, just, just using that method. Um, huh. So it, yeah, it wasn't anything earth shattering to me because I thought to myself, well, I've already been doing this. Um, what else do you have for me, Adobe? Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to try both of them and, and see how they, how they compare. That's uh, yeah, that, that's interesting. All right. Let's uh, keep, keep looking a, a little bit at Lightroom um, classic. Um, uh, Lightroom still doesn't support Heath. Uh, which we've talked about in a podcast, but uh, but Photoshop does now. Photoshop supports Heath, and so that that shows me that you know it's only a matter of time. I, I expect we'll be getting Heath in Lightroom soon. That's a little bit of a relief to me. Um, I'm very glad to see that. Um, but Lightroom as a product, the question is, how long is it gonna be around? Lightroom Classic, how long is it gonna work as is until we get pushed to the new version? So I read everything I could read from Tom Hogarty, uh, every uh, indication they may have. And what I believe is that they really don't know. I, I think they really don't know, but I think it's clear to them where things are going to go. Um, and so they're going to find ways to, to get us all on one platform. I think one thing to me is clear. There's no way that long term they're going to just keep maintaining two versions of Lightroom. That just no, doesn't no seem way. like that seems like a non-starter. Um, I, I think eventually there will be balance in the force. They will find a way to get us to one. Uh, but I don't think they really know. Uh, I, and so I, you know, the conspiracy theories, ah, you know, two years, they're all going to force us over. Maybe, maybe not. But I do think that the all new Lightroom has a better path to becoming a better product using AI. Um, and just the fact that having them online and accessible from, uh, from everywhere, just the benefits of the new version I think will outweigh Lightroom Classic. And uh, and so for that reason, I do think the days of Lightroom Classic are numbered. Uh, but I don't think there's a, a date that anybody has of, of when it's going to go away. My best guess is three years from now, not a lot of people are going to be using Lightroom Classic. And five years from now, I'd be surprised if there is a Lightroom Classic. What, what do you guys think about that timeline? Is that realistic? Is that what you think may happen? Or do you have a totally different take? I'm thinking three years is probably going to be when most people will be moved over. I expect them to stop putting uh, enhancements and improvements into Lightroom Classic and just Lightroom CC is going to get all of that stuff and they're going to 
just start encouraging people to move over to Lightroom CC. Um, one thing I think that they're going to do though is eventually offer uh, offline storage and usage of Lightroom CC. Um, so people don't have to work off the cloud, which I think a lot of people don't necessarily want to do. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Three, three to five years and I think Lightroom Classic will be, uh, will be shown the door. I, I'm with you, Kirk. I think that's about right. Three to five years. The big, uh, the big upgrade will be, I think, allowing people to pick or choose uh, what goes into the cloud or what doesn't or all or none. Uh, and that'll ease a lot of people's concerns. Um, what did we, we asked for a complete rate rewrite of Lightroom, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we've got it. Um, it's just going to take a while for it to, to grow into, uh, into the program that we, we really want to use. I, I totally agree with, with you, Kirk on the offline storage for, for the all new Lightroom. I would be all in on the all new Lightroom. I would switch day one, even though it has a reduced feature set, I would go over there immediately. If what I could do is have some of the photos online and some of the photos locally. Um, and, and it just doesn't work that way. If that were an option, you know, if I could take, uh, when I import photos, they stay online for six months and then they back up to my local drive and they just stay there locally. Ooh, that'd be cool. Mm -hmm. I'd be all about that because then I could take all advantage of the AI and all the online stuff, but I want to have my photos local and I don't necessarily want to pay for terabytes of online storage uh, when I, I have a perfectly capable external drive right next to me. And, and even if I did pay for the, the large external storage to hold it all, I would still feel like I have to have the local storage just to make sure my photos are safe. You know, they the photos can be lost on Adobe servers just as much as they could locally. Hard drives or go stolen. bad on servers. Yeah, things happen. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm sure they will have a backup. It won't just be one copy, but can something happen to it on the cloud? Yeah, absolutely it can. And so I I need a local, a local option. Um, and so... I, I hope that's a, a point of focus for them is how we can do this hybrid going forward. Yeah, I think one of the other main concerns is uh, with all the data breaches that we've been having lately, what's to stop some Chinese hackers from stealing your, your full resolution raw versions of your photos and start printing, mass producing your pictures and printing them on cheap canvas and selling them to Hobby Lobby and Michaels and any other arts and crafts store. Um, all of a sudden you are not getting the, you're not getting paid for your work because somebody else is now stealing the full versions. When you don't put your photo, your full versions online, like on Facebook, if somebody steals it, they're only getting like a 72 DPI, like 500 kilobyte photo that, they couldn't print on an eight by 10 because it would look terrible. Yeah. Except, I mean, there's still copyright law. If somebody's using your photo illegally, you can still go after them. I, I don't know how much of a concern that is to me personally. Well, yeah. Copyright law aside, most people aren't going to have the resources or the time to chase after that. Um, and I think a lot of people wouldn't even know that their photos were being stolen anyway. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I guess I feel like my photos, if somebody wants to steal my photos, they can. I got big ones everywhere, but I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm the exception to that. 
Um, so in the in the all new version of, or sorry, in the Lightroom Classic version, the pricing remains the same. So if you have a subscription right now, nothing really is different. We're going to dig into how things could change if you move to the all new Lightroom in the second half, as well as uh, many of the features of the all new Lightroom and where that's going. But before we do that, we want to take a second and thank our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Thursday Boots. Winter is coming and you're going to need a good pair of boots. Thursday Boot Company is a brand that you know you're going to love. As soon as you go to their website, you see the beautiful handcrafted leather products that they have. The same kind of things that your parents and grandparents bought for two or three times the price. Uh, and now they make them with better materials. They've been featured in everything from Esquire to GQ to OK Style Weight Watchers and Page Six. And most importantly, you're going to love them. This year, get a pair of boots that will last season after season. Get a pair of boots handcrafted with the high highest quality materials and sold at honest prices. Get a pair of Thursday boots. Head on over to thursdayboots.com and use the code FREESHIP TODAY. Money, power, and a great pair of boots are only two days away. All right, let's talk about pricing. Again, if you just want Lightroom, as it's always happened, as it has always been, and Photoshop, and you got your $9.99 deal, nothing has changed. It's the same. Um, but if you want to move to the all-new Lightroom, there are some different packages because now you're going to be paying for storage of those photos. A lot of people uh, were really taken aback by the pricing, the increased pricing of this, and I was too at first. But the more I think about it, essentially the pricing is $10 per month for a terabyte of online storage. And, you know, that's just not unreasonable. Uh, that's, that's very much online with what you'd pay uh, or in line with what you'd pay on Google Drive or Dropbox, etc. cetera. Uh, they really, I don't see them earning a whole lot of money off of us from $10 a month for a terabyte of storage. Uh, you, you, essentially, that's I, I felt like that was a fair price and you're still just paying for um, for the program at $9.99 a month, um, basically. So I wasn't super taken aback by the pricing once I thought about it. What did you guys feel about the pricing structures? I think 10 bucks a month is pretty reasonable. I mean, how much does a terabyte drive cost these days? Like maybe $450, $500. So at 10 bucks a month, you're paying $120 a year. You'd be into it three or four years before you'd actually pay for a drive yourself but by that point you'd have to buy another one because technology is outdated every four years so this is really the better option yeah well i mean you can buy a one terabyte hard drive for 50 bucks uh so it really only take five months to equal what a local copy is but this isn't a local copy this is the bandwidth to hold it uh offline and make it accessible to you from whatever computer you go to and stuff so i agree uh compared to a, other online storages for a terabyte i'm with you i, I think it's pretty reasonable but, you know i i think it is too actually yeah yeah so if you want to get the all new lightroom cc also you'll get lightroom classic and photoshop and you want 20 gigs of storage, that's $10 a month. Uh, but 20 gigs of storage obviously isn't going to go very far when you're talking about uh, storing photos, raw photos. So let's say you want to go, you know, you still have the $9.99 package 
and now you want to add one terabyte of storage, that's just $19.99 a month. Now, $19.99 a month just as a raw price is expensive. You know, that's on in line with a lot of people. What you're paying for cable is $20 a month, and you don't want an extra $20 bill every month. But for online storage of raw photos, I, that really is pretty reasonable. And it makes it possible uh, to have that that real true three to one backup, uh, you know, where you could have your photos locally and online and it costs you $10 a month. That really adds a lot of, of, uh, safety anyway. I might even feel safe enough if I have a local copy of my photos and they're in the cloud, I might, I might feel comfortable enough with that to not also have a separate Jobo, which for me, this is probably going to save me money if I don't have to have mm-hmm. a separate local copy of everything. If I just have local and online and call that good, uh, it, this would save me a lot of money from buying hard drives constantly. Yeah, that's true. But I have more than one terabyte of photos. <laughs> I have a <laughs> lot of photos on there. If I remove all of the videos, so I have... Uh, I think it's like 22 terabytes on my Drobo right now, but a lot of that is video. So if I remove all the video, all the other stuff, it's just photos. I, I think it's just around five terabytes. So that costs me $50 a month if I move to the all new Lightroom. And $50 a month is a lot of money, but to store my entire library on there and know it's, it's much safer that way, I'm good with that. That's okay with me. Uh, and, and to be able to access it when I'm on the road, out shooting with you guys, wherever uh, I can get all my photo library. That's pretty cool. And so for me doing this professionally, totally makes sense for a hobbyist. That's going to be a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. 50 bucks a month is a, a really expensive if you're just doing this as a hobby. And I would highly recommend someone to look into other options than spending that kind of cash on that. But how many photos do you think a hobbyist has? Like, what do you think the average, uh, maybe we should ask Jeff Harmon or someone, or Brad, what do you have? How many, how many terabytes uh, of just photos do you have? I shoot a lot of sports in addition to everything else. And uh, I was that's at a lot. the championships. So yeah, I, I shot, uh, uh 10,000 photos in August. So I'm not your, maybe not your typical hobbyist. Uh, no, <laughs> um, not at all. But, you know, maybe a, a couple thousand a year, three, 4,000 a year, I think would probably be what a, if I look back to before I started doing it more, um, that's, that was typical. So for a um, lot of people, a one terabyte plan is going to work fine. And, and at that point you're paying nineteen ninety nine a month. Uh, you can access it from whatever device you want, iPad, phone, laptop, desktop, um, wherever you want. And it, you know, costs you $20 a month. That's pretty great. I, I'm, I think that's a very reasonable price. You know, and a thought I just had to that backup that, I guess you call it a two, one backup, uh, is perpetual. You don't have to worry about once a month going in, Oh, I got to back up my, my catalog and this and that it's all, it's done. Uh, every time you put a photo and it's done. So it's like a backup service in addition. Hey, I, so, I think yeah. it's pretty cool. So what's new in the all new Lightroom CC? What are our, our benefits right now? Uh, and the drawbacks, uh, there are a lot of missing features from Lightroom Classic in the new one. Um, there's no tone curve, but 
Tom Hogarty said that he is very aware of that and it will not take long to get that put back in. So that's great. Um, no split toning. That's another one that they said is an obvious miss and they are working on that. Um, no print modules. Another one they said, this is obvious. We need this. We're going to be working on the print functionalities to print directly from Lightroom. Right now, it's not that big of a deal. It, on the all new Lightroom, all you would do is just export a file and then print from there um, instead of directly from Lightroom. So not that big of a deal, but it's coming. Um, and then other things are missing that may be permanent. I don't know. Um, color labels, Nested keywords I know is is permanent, uh, but it's not something that I use. Uh, but color labels are not there. Uh, no web or book module, which I never really used anyway. So those are gone. Um, a lot of the sharing options are gone. No tethered capture. That one hurts a little bit. I, I like tethered capture. I use that sometimes. And so I would like to see that. And everything is in one catalog. That doesn't bother me at all because that's the way I've always recommended to work in, in Lightroom. Um, so, so, you know, it, there are some reduced features, but the promise of getting new features is really, really strong. And that's why I feel confident that a year from now I'm going to be using the all new Lightroom. Uh, but for now, I mean, ah, man, I, I, I don't know if I can get away with not having a tone curve right now. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty tough. Uh, but you know, I, I think in three months I, I could very likely see myself going to the all new Lightroom. Yeah. I think it, it kind of sounds like Adobe didn't want to make the same mistake that they've kind of always made with their photography products of adding new features, but not having the support on the back end of the programming to make it run smoothly. And so with this new Lightroom, it sounds like they're kind of pumping the brakes a little bit, making sure that the program will support everything before they start dumping it on there. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I, I, and I am happy about that. Uh, again, I feel that the path of, of moving forward is much stronger on the all new Lightroom than in Lightroom Classic. And that's why I feel like, you know what, I better just bite the bullet and move. It may not be fun for the first couple months, but if that's the way it's going to go and I feel confident about that, then let's just do this. What do you think the chances are, Brad, that light, that the all new Lightroom is going to fail and they're going to go back to Lightroom Classic? Uh, I, I wouldn't put any money on that at all. I don't, I think that they're actually being fairly smart in the way they approach this and build it one piece at a time, like Kirk points out. Um, so I, I don't think there's much a chance that that'll fail. I think there's going to be a, even a, a very large percentage of people are going to like it once they get in it and, and get moving around with it. And as they start to add some of that functionality back in that we're missing, uh, people, I don't think people are going to miss the classic all that much. Um, so I, I think it's, I think it's here to stay. Um, I don't think it's going anywhere. Kirk, you mentioned earlier that uh, you felt like the all new Lightroom when you opened it up kind of felt nerfed. It kind of felt like the kid mm -hmm. project product. Um, yep. Do you think that is because you're so used to what Lightroom look, looks like and works? Um, or do you think it's something that you just could not get used to and it's just worse? Um, I think it will probably just take some getting used to, um, like you said, Jim, if I were just to jump in it, like right now and like even uninstall Lightroom classic and just work fully on Lightroom CC, I think I would get used to it just fine. Um, but I'm, I'm the kind of guy that likes to have a lot of options at my fingertips. Um, and it just feels, I mean, they designed it for a mobile platform. And so on your iPad, you don't have as much real estate as a computer screen. So they have to make concessions somewhere. 
I don't like that necessarily. Um, but if I was just to keep using it, I would probably get used to it and it would be fine. One thing that I think would be a very good possibility is if Adobe had two different uh, user interfaces where they had like the interface they're running right now and then uh, some kind of more advanced or professional interface. Where pro it had, mode. Yeah, pro <laughs> mode or something. And it had all of the options laid out for you right there. Um, I think that would be really slick if they did that. And if, if they had that kind of option, I would jump over today and, and just start using it and getting used to it. Yeah, I, I agree with you that I think some things are still missing uh, before I can quite do it. Um, but I actually am a big fan of the interface. I, I like it uh, from somebody who has taught Lightroom to thousands or tens of thousands of people over the last few years. I know what things they're going to really struggle with getting into Lightroom. And all of those things are gone with the all new Lightroom. For example, the import interface is something that just... Ah, it's always been hard for people to understand how it works in in Lightroom Classic. It, it's you know not that hard, but <laughs> but you need a little explanation at first. People say, "Okay, I imported them," and so then when they go looking for their actual files on the computer, they say, "But they're not in Lightroom. Where are my files?" Uh, and you just need some explanation of, "Okay, on the left side, you're saying where the photos are coming from, your SD card." <laughs> In the middle, you're seeing a preview of the photos, and on the right-hand side, there's this little tiny box that says where the photos are actually going to live on your computer. Lightroom is just memorizing the changes to those photos, and people are like, huh? What's happening? Yeah. Uh, and in the all-new Lightroom, that's gone. You don't need to understand that. There's no, well, I mean, there is an import process, but it works just very different. You just say, hey, suck up everything from this SD card, and ploop, it's done for you. Uh, it's just much better. Uh, all of the things that people struggle with understanding in Lightroom are gone. And I really, really like that. I, I, they focused on those things that, that could be fixed just with a different UI and they fixed them. So that's cool. I think the user interface that they've put into the new uh, Lightroom is, is very intentional. Uh, it looks just like it does on my iPad. And, and when it's like that, I can bounce back and forth from one to the other. And, and it, uh, and it's easy. I don't have to kind of reprogram my brain to think, all right, this is where this is in this one. And it's over here in that one. It's just, it feels, it's seamless. Um, and that's, I think what's going to be appealing to a large group, a group of people, uh, professionals and uh, hobbyists alike. Yeah. Same as the search functionality and attention in addition to the, the import being much easier for a new user to understand uh, searching for photos in, in Lightroom classic is insane it should never have worked that way the only way you can search like if you want to search your keywords and bring up a photo of your kid's fifth birthday you have to go into the library module you can't search from develop uh, you got to go into the library module then this one's crazy you can't search the little search box is gone if you have the full preview of the photo you have to go into the mosaic view and then this tiny little search box pops up at the top where you can search the keywords like it's dumb it should never have worked <laughs> that way it makes it way harder than it needs to be to find old photos and now on the all-new lightroom 
right where you expect a search box to be at the very top of the screen, there's just a box that just says search all photos and then a little graphic next to it for a funnel. If you want to funnel by, you know, keyword or camera or metadata or whatever, it's like, ah, it should have always worked this way. It's just, they've thought through the hard parts of the UI and they've made them just crazy obvious. I like that. Okay, lots lots to uh, dig into on the on the new Lightroom, but a lot of people hate this change, and they say I'm out of here. I don't like the fact that uh, that Lightroom Classic could be going away. That this isn't the direction that Adobe's going to take. They're not convinced that that the new Lightroom will have some kind of hybrid option like we've been talking about and hoping for, and so they're looking at other options. What are the best options out there for these people? Uh, well, Capture One is the most, uh, I think, the most popular option. I've heard a lot of people jumping ship uh, from Adobe over to Capture One, and they uh, seem to enjoy that pretty good. Yeah, another option would be something like Luminar that's adding uh, DAM capabilities, um, digital asset management, the organization piece um, soon. We, we hope to be seeing that. We see OnOne's PhotoRAW. Uh, there are other options out there. For me, there are a couple negatives to uh, to moving away. And the reason that I'm not tempted to ditch Adobe right now uh, is one, I don't I wouldn't bet on any of those companies beating at Adobe at AI. I just don't. Like uh, the future of photo editing to just say, hey, skin smooth, whammo. and it it can analyze things and do four hours of editing in 30 seconds and do just as good a job as I could have done, uh, that will happen. Yeah, I, I, there's just no stopping it. That is going to happen. And so who do I think is most likely to get that done? Adobe. I'm not betting on on, on one to be able to do that. Um, and so the future uh, in terms of AI looks really good uh, for Adobe there. They're also just a large, very powerful company with a lot of resources. Um, it's a large publicly traded company. And so they are going to be able to invest in R&D more than these other companies are. So uh, so that's the, the number one thing that keeps me back and says, you know, I, I'm going to be patient now. Let's hold on to Lightroom. How about you guys? Are you, are you tempted? Uh, not not tempted. No. Um, <laughs> uh, for th those reasons, I haven't really even looked into some of the others. I've had a lot of people talking about them to me. Um, sort of the main thing that kind of kept me from staying away uh, from wanting to change at this point was I'm, I'm afraid of uh, migrating my catalog and all those edits that I've spent a lot of time putting together over to another system where they may or may not take. Uh, that's that's kind of frightening to me. So um, I don't know if that's a good reason or not just to stick with Adobe and not look at another option. I think people, you know, if, if it makes sense for you, you should look at other options. But for me, it, it kind of makes sense to sit here. Uh, plus, being part of the University of Nebraska, we have uh, we have some agreements with Adobe, so I'm, I have access to the software. And it, I, I've sit outside of that argument a little bit because it doesn't cost me anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I actually downloaded the trial version of Capture One um, just.
Oh, I think we lost Kirk there for a second. Uh, lost his uh, audio. So this is going to be a little bit of a cliffhanger to find out what happened when Kirk downloaded Capture One. Uh, but I have also tried tried Capture One, and uh, Capture One reached out reached out to me uh, this last week, and 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 I am due for another look at it. I think one of the writers is assigned to uh, to take a look at Capture One and do a, another review for us because I think it has been about a year and a half since we did a full in depth review of Capture One. Um, as a as a competitor to to Lightroom, my my impressions of Capture One uh, again, it's been a year and a half, so I don't know so much what has changed. Uh, but my impression was it's really similar to Lightroom, the layout, the everything. They have a lot of tools that uh, work a little bit differently, have more sliders, more options that looked really cool at the start. And the more I used them, I I said okay. I can really do the same thing in Lightroom. It's just called something different here. Um, but, you know, I like their color correction tool. It was really neat. Uh, there are some cool things about it. And so it's it's something that I am interested in, in taking another look at. But again, I really feel the future, even like almost the immediate future, just updates to happen over the next six months, AI is coming to photo editing in a big way. And I feel like Adobe is the best suited company to take advantage of that technology. Do we uh, have Kirk back yet? <laughs> all right, I'm back. All right, tell us what so, happened, Kirk. So, sorry about that. The, uh, the the battery on my transceiver or my transmitter died. Um, um, so anyway, I downloaded the, the trial of Capture One. I played around with it for about an hour this morning. Um, for anybody that's thinking about switching from Lightroom over to Capture One, I will say that Capture One is very powerful. It can do a lot of stuff, but there is a significant learning curve if you're moving over from Lightroom or Photoshop. Um, it works on a, a completely different level than what Lightroom does. And if you are uh, completely used to working with Lightroom, it's going to seem like you're in a foreign country uh, working with Capture One. Um, so don't think that you can download it and 15 minutes later you'll be off to the races because that's just not realistic. Um, there's a lot of very fine differences that will, unless you're dedicated to this switch, I think um, it, it won't be worth your effort to do it. The the last point that I want to make uh, in this uh, Lightroom discussion, of course, and maybe we should have talked about this more, is the speed of Lightroom Classic. We hadn't talked about that yet. Uh, Lightroom Classic did get a speed bump. It's a good speed bump. It, it doesn't put it on the level of what Photo Mechanic or Capture One uh, or other programs can do in terms of speed. Um, it, it's, it's a breath of fresh air because Lightroom has just been... I mean, almost unusable uh, over the last, you know, whatever year. Um, it's just been so bad in terms of the speed. If you're shooting high volume, you're shooting a lot. It's driving you crazy. If you only use Lightroom every couple months and, you know, when you go on vacation or something, and eh, not that big of a deal. But if you're in Lightroom every day, oh, you just want to smack this thing. Um, and... In my opinion, the new, the new version is a welcome change. Uh, we can work on previews in a little bit of a different way. Uh, when you do your import, they still have a weird uh, default on this. I, I think they chose the wrong option uh, for the default. When you're doing an import, go into... Uh, uh, 
go into the build preview and choose embedded and sidecar. Uh, and then you'll see a, a nice uh, benefit when you're culling and looking through those photos initially. Um, that's definitely the setting I would recommend. Uh, I, I, it should be the default. It just should. I'm convinced of it. I don't know why they didn't make it the default, um, but that will see a nice benefit in culling. In terms of just browsing through your your full photos, though, you know, not just in the culling time, though, it's still a little, little sluggish. The import still hangs up on me all the time. I'll get a half import and it just won't finish. Uh, export is still slow sometimes. Um, it's a welcome change, but I wouldn't call it a game changer in terms of Lightroom speed. Have you guys experienced the same or are you more excited about the speed change? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, it definitely was a speed boost for me, um, but not, not what I was hoping. I was hoping to be able to dispel this, uh, this hope to, to go out and finally buy photo mechanic, which I did a demo of it not too long ago. Um, but uh, it's so it, it is better. I, I can't believe you have to kind of dig or read blogs to find out how to change that to that embedded plus sidecar uh, import option. It seems like it if it's not a default, it should at least in the first import tell you, hey, here are some options. If you want to call a little faster, this is going to help. I'm surprised they didn't do that. I felt that it was actually a little bit slower um, as far as when you're editing the photo. Um, I usually end up having a lot of uh, local adjustments and uh, a lot of changes to the, the curves and all the sliders. And once I got about 75% of the way through a photo, it was just crawling. Um, and it felt like Lightroom before didn't have as big of a problem. So I don't know if there's some further settings I need to, to mess with uh, or what the deal is, but it kind of felt a little slower to me. Interesting. Yeah, I, I hadn't experienced that. To me, it's I don't see any negatives. I, I've seen it only improve speed. Um, but, you know, every machine is different, works all differently, et cetera. So uh, that's that's not good to hear. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, but again, I, uh, in fact, right now, uh, I was just going into Lightroom to work on something and it's locked up. I got a spinning wheel. Uh, I'm going to have to quit it. Um, it. It's it's not fixed. The The speed issues on Lightroom are not fixed. Uh, but they they at least take it to a mostly usable program now, um, and, and then again you go to all all new Lightroom and ooh baby it's fast <laughs> that's how it should work <laughs> I like how it goes um, you know there's a little latency as you as you're uh, flipping between photos getting them from online etc sometimes depending on how big your cache is uh, but uh, but it's much faster. And so, again, I, I see the future there, and, and I'm not going to hold off. I'm not going to be the curmudgeon and try to stick to my current workflow, um, even if there's a little bit of growing pains. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Adobe the benefit of the doubt on this one, and I'm, I'm going to move over to the all-new Lightroom as soon as it's practicable. All right, in every episode, we give the doodads of the week. And Brad, it's your first time on the podcast. You've been listening for a long time, and now it's your big moment. What is your doodad of the week? I, I, was, I was telling Kirk before we started that I kind of stressed out about this part more than about anything <laughs> else. My first doodad and I, I toyed with a couple options and, and went with something that's fairly inexpensive, but I find incredibly useful especially for doing astrophotography and that's the hot hands hand warmers 
Uh, they're just regular air activated hand warmers. Uh, you might put them in your pocket uh, or put them in your shoes if you're, if you're out shooting in the cold weather to keep your hands or feet or any other part of your body warm. Um, but w where I really find them useful year round is to wrap them around the, the front of my lens, not over the front element, of course, but around the front of the barrel, the lens to keep the lens warm and keep dew and, and uh, frost in the cold months at, at bay. Uh, I do a lot of Milky Way workshops and, and I, I've had a number of instances where people kind of get, we get late into the night and they're still wanting to keep shooting. And, and all of a sudden they get, they start getting horrible images and they ask me what's going on. I said, well, the front of your lens is all fogged up from, from dew and uh, uh, pull out some of the hand warmers, warm the lens up and it, it helps, but uh, that keeps it at bay. So you can do that. Or if you're shooting time lapses, like I know you love to shoot time lapses, Jim, yeah. these hand warmers do a really good job and, and they're pretty inexpensive. So I keep a box of them in my car or somewhere close by when I know I'm going to be shooting it at night or when I could get to. Very cool. Kirk, what do you have? All right. So uh, you had recommended this on uh, the on the website a little while ago, and I picked up a couple. Um, this is the Deco Color Metallic Pen. Um, you can buy these on Amazon for seven, eight bucks. Um, and basically it's, it's metallic ink um, that uh, works really well when you... Uh, sign your prints. Uh, they work great on paper, they work great on canvas, and they work really well on metal. Um, a couple of insider tips or pro tips that I would suggest is when you're signing a super glossy print or like a metal print is just to go slow. Take your time when you're signing it because if you go too fast, it will the ink doesn't flow as fast as you can write. Um, so try to practice on slowing down your signature. Um, and then one other thing that I learned um, on the metal prints, uh, if you mess up your signature or it looks ugly or something, it's really, really difficult to take this ink off anything. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know if you can even take it off canvas without ruining the print or take it off paper without ruining the print. Um, but if you're signing a metal print, uh, you can actually get um, some melamine foam, which is basically the uh, magic eraser, and you can just scrub it off. Uh, and it comes off clean. It doesn't scratch the print, and then you can sign it again. Oh, nice. Um, so... Just uh, pick up a couple of magic erasers or search melamine foam on Amazon and you can get it for super cheap on there. Um, and that's kind of what you can use as your emergency backup. If like the pen splotches, cause that sometimes happens or you just mess it up somehow and you want to, you want a better looking signature on your print. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. I, uh, I, th I think it's been about two years since I know three years since I did that review. <laughs> One day somebody asked me, what's the best marker for signing prints? And I was like, I don't know. And <laughs> I thought that's, I have of course I haven't tested markers and I thought, why haven't I tested markers? <laughs> so I went to every craft store within a 50 mile radius and just bought like 20 different markers. And I tried like cooking them in the oven. I, I took the hose to them, scrubbed at them to see which ones would, you know, last as an archival, you know, you want to put yeah. it on a print to last forever. And, uh, that's the one that lasted the longest. So cool. And, uh, my recommendation is just going to be a simple one. Uh, it is the Sony a seven R three because seriously, this is the camera of my dreams. Very excited about this one. Uh, we'll see, you know, sometimes the marketing uh, is a little excited, exciting and you get the camera and there are a lot of drawbacks. So, you know, I haven't tested it. We'll see, but, uh, from the numbers, this looks like a pretty cool camera. So I'm excited about it. All right. Thank you guys for taking the time to be on the show. Uh, 
the listeners, you can, you can take a look for Kirk and Brad's articles as they come out on improvephotography.com. Thank you, everybody, for your support. This is one of the longest uh, podcasts we've released in a long time, but uh, photography really did change this week. There were some big changes, and uh, we wanted to make sure to cover them thoroughly. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you in another seven days. Thank you.